Now enjoy Tom Collins, Part 3, Sugar Cube. Chapter 14 I sit on the bow of the boat with both arms draped around my bent knees and look out into the water, the infinite sea of the unknown. The water is calm, neither a wave nor a jumping fish wanting to disturb the peace on the ocean surface. What lies underneath is anyone's guess. The boat glides along with the tide. The only rumbling is inside me. The eggs and bacon from breakfast are swirling around in my stomach. Even in calm waters, there's nothing worse than being on a boat with an upset stomach. But the beautiful panorama before me keeps the grumbling at bay. There's a clear view of the horizon off in the distance, and the waterscape is mesmerizing, sprawled out in front of me. It's still and quiet, for the moment. Huh. <laughs> Peaceful. Tim chartered an 80-foot yacht from 10am to 4pm. It is pretty sweet. The yacht has three levels, six beds, a kitchen, fully stocked bar, TVs everywhere, a living area, and even one jet ski in the back. Most importantly, at least right now, it has four bathrooms. This is plenty to find a quiet one. Always important in a public place. I hate being rushed and anxious on the toilet. Honestly, who likes that? The boat is fully furnished and minted with brand new accessories. It can't be more than a year or two old. I'd say it probably cost about five to six thousand dollars for the six-hour charter, not including the private chef. Is it excessive? Yes. But considering that Tim probably pays the same amount in taxes per month on that Golden Beach home, it doesn't seem terribly excessive. It actually seems right in line with everything else, you know, showing Undercuffler and I how much he appreciates us, what life could be like for us. Maybe he is being genuine, but I have Ty in the back of my mind. There's a lot of consumption going on around me, but damn, I'm enjoying it. I hear a shout from somewhere above. This is fucking gorgeous, ain't it? I look up and Jack is leaning on the rail on another deck, and, no surprise, I can see a drink in his hand. It's only 10.30am, but now I wonder if everyone is drinking already. He shouts again, Come up here! I sure can use a mimosa, but first I have to take care of some business. I'll be up in a minute. Gotta hit the head, I yell back. I begin my descent below the deck. Can't wait to drop this bathing suit down to my ankles, but I hit some turbulence along the way. My knees shake. I can recognize those shoulders anywhere. Liv is tying on her sequin cover-up. It's not covering much. Both her white bikini and sun-kissed skin are screaming through. She's looking godly. Just the idea we're both in the same room with that much skin showing makes my little friend down below start to move. She looks at me for the first time all day. Did you have a good time last night? She says. It doesn't take a genius to understand where she's going with this line of questioning, so I jump the gun. Look, it's not what you think. I... Liv cuts me off. What is it? You come to my house, sleep with my friend, and enjoy my husband's praise. I get it, Christian, I do, she says. Like the situation you're in, but you don't have to rub it in my face. Sleep with your friend? Come on, don't bullshit me, Liv says. I heard Mark joking with the guys this morning. He was up at 4am to get some water, and Leanna's car was still in the driveway. 
I want to rebut this point, but I feel a drag race about to go off in my stomach. Start your engines. Three, two... I muster up. Look, it's not what you think. I swear. But I'll be right back. Liv shakes her head and sighs. <sighs> be right back? I gotta use the bathroom. Of course you do. I hear her say under her breath. I go down one more level, into the sleeping quarters, to find a nice quiet bathroom. Ah, found one. Perfect to collect myself. Fucking undercuffler, that spiny little shit. Time to prepare for an uphill battle. I come back upstairs and, no surprise, Liv is back out on the main deck. At least I'm feeling better now. The first person I see when I get up there is undercuffler. He says, It's great down here in Florida, isn't it? He doesn't know he just screwed me, so I can't really hold a grudge, but he's still a prick. No doubt, I say with a smile. Tim is up on the flybridge talking to the captain with a Bloody Mary in his hand. Emma, Liv, and Molly are sitting together, sipping mimosas outside on the back of the boat. Undercuffler excuses himself to try to get some cell service to make a call. It gives me time to go catch up with Jack. He's standing alone under the overhang in the bar area. You're never going to believe this shit, I say. Oh God, what now? He says. Liv thinks I slept with Leanna last night. You didn't? No, dude. Mark was telling Tim and me this morning. I cut him off. I know what Undercuffler was telling you, but he's a dumbass. That doesn't mean I had sex with her. He looks up at the air, raises his hand toward the sky, then looks back at me. Wait, so you didn't poke her? No, that's what I'm telling you. What's wrong with you? Jack says. Ha, well, suit yourself. I'll tell you what, though. That chick Emma is a handful, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Nothing is wrong with me, and I thought she was too old for you. He laughs. <laughs> me too. Who knew? Tim yells down from above. Who wants to take the jet ski for a spin? I look at Jack. Jack looks at me, and we both point at each other. There you go, buddy, I say. Take your lovebird out for a spin. He takes a sip of his cocktail. Good idea. Then howls out. Emma, you want to go for a spin on the jet ski? She howls back. What? I push Jack and say, just go over there. He walks over before you know it, then hops on the wave runner and zips off. We're down by the port of Miami. It's full of cruise ships and cargo boats, and the city skyline sits in the background. Huge residential homes with Spanish tile roofs and in-ground pools line the small islands around us each home equipped with their own yacht resting at their dock. A few party boats float in the water, stacked to the gills with twenty-somethings. Music blaring, hair swinging, and beer splashing higher than the water. It's noon, and sun is blazing directly above us. Tim comes tumbling down the spiral stairs from the flybridge and grabs me by the shoulders. This is the life, huh? He says with a grin that would impress a clown. I shake my head and smile. He continues. Just a beautiful day with my top guys. What can be better? We clink glasses. Jack and Emma are getting back from their spin on the water. You gotta get out there, Christian. It's great. Jack yells. Tim leans over to me. I don't go on those things. I had a bad experience when I was younger. What's that? I ask. Someone freaking hit me while I was riding one. I was fortunate nothing bad happened, but I guess it kind of traumatized me for life. Holy shit, I say. That's terrible. 
I can't help but wonder if his hesitancy might also have something to do with losing his daughter in a motor vehicle accident. Undercuffler is a chicken shit. He doesn't want to go on the jet ski either. I don't expect anything else from a stiff. Whatever, more time for Jack or me to enjoy it. I'm eager to jump on. As I strap on the life vest, I hear Tim screech out, Olivia, you always want me to take you. Why don't you go for a ride with Christian? I think she almost spits out her drink mid-sip. She pauses. I think I'm good. Jack, being an asshole, yells out, Are you sure? It's gorgeous out there. Emma chimes in. Yeah, Olivia, you have to go. You always want to go. What the hell? But before I know it, everyone on the boat is chanting. Olivia! 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 I watch the madness as I sit on the jet ski with my life vest on. It only takes about 30 seconds of childlike chanting to get Liv to slam her drink down. Fine, I'll go. It's true, she was holding her ground for a little while, but there's no way she would agree if she didn't want to go out on the water with me. I take comfort in the thought, even if I shouldn't, or am wrong. I've done all I can to avoid Liv up until this point, and now her bare skin is going to be pressed up against mine. The transfer of heat might be dangerous. It's like rubbing together two sticks and hoping for science to fail you. It doesn't seem plausible. She hops on the back and whispers, Make this a short ride. I look over my shoulder. I never thought I'd hear you say that one. (laughs) I have to take the shot. She pokes my side. Stop. Let's go. I look up to the boat. Nobody is even paying attention, including Tim. Nobody seems to care about Liv and me. But why would they, I guess? It feels like we've been abandoned, left alone. And that thought is enough for me to twist the throttle and blast off out into the water. Liv grips me tight and screams in my right ear, giving me flashbacks that only make me hammer on that throttle more aggressively. For a moment, I imagine I'm on a motorcycle, a Harley or something, and Liv and I are ripping down the interstate. I'm not sure there's a more liberating thought than the open road with a lady friend by your side. The possibilities feel endless, and opportunities seem fruitful. Even if you're doomed... It's the hope that keeps you moving forward. The water splashing pulls me back to the present. We've only been on the jet ski for a few minutes, and our boat is already far in the distance. Perhaps this is going to be the only chance I get to set the record straight about Leanna, I think. Although it probably doesn't matter. I want Liv to know the truth. That's why I didn't go through with it. Even though we are far enough away from the boat that no one can really see us, I still pull the jet ski around a little rock face to block any visibility. The highest precautions must be taken, so not even binoculars can spot us. Sure, it isn't an ideal situation, but I have to make the most of it. She doesn't seem surprised when I stop the jet ski and hover in the water. I look back over my shoulder. Liv's hair is wet, eyes covered with her big round sunglasses, and beads of water running down the lenses. I twist my upper body and adjust myself on the seat so I'm more sideways. My right shoulder nestles up against Liv's life vest. Look... I need to tell you something, I say. I know it doesn't matter, but it matters to me that you know I didn't sleep with Leanna. You can think whatever you want, but the truth is, I was going to sleep with her, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I actually pretended like I passed out just to avoid it. She slept at the house because she'd been drinking. My heart is racing, so I pause for a second. It's true, I tried to get her out of the house early, but only to avoid this conversation and misunderstanding. Obviously, that didn't happen. You can even ask her when you see her. Liv lowers her sunglasses. 
The sun makes her eyes glisten. Those little emeralds burn straight to my soul. Why, Christian? She asks. Why didn't you just sleep with her? It would have made this so much easier. I'm confused for a minute, but what she says has an element of truth. Well, why didn't you just pretend to not care I was with Leanna? That would have made it easier on me. Liv stalls. She grabs her drenched hair, wrings it out, then lets off a big sigh. She removes her sunglasses and doesn't say a word. I look into her eyes, but only briefly. They now have a pink hue. We sit silent for about a minute, me looking forward and Liv's chin on my right shoulder. It's sad, but perfect. It's in this moment I realize the only thing shining brighter than the sun today is the truth about our feelings for each other. I didn't just sleep with my boss's wife. It's much worse. I might be in love with her. Fuck. What am I going to do with you, Christian? She says after a moment longer. What am I going to do with you, Liv? I reply. I can feel her heart on my shoulder through the life jacket, beating faster and faster. Science did not fail us, and the early beginning of a fire is rising. I feel her right hand start to slide down between my legs. A shockwave travels through my body with such force it makes my toes curl. She whispers in my right ear, Shh, don't talk. I want to feel you one more time. She slips her tongue in my ear and grasps my penis fiercely with her right hand. It's dancing. The combination makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Then her strong grip loosens, and soft lips kiss the lobe of my ear. It's both a dream and a nightmare. Then, just as quickly, she whispers, Let's go back. I look back at her. <laughs> really? She just beams at me, then covers those sinners with her shades. I'm disappointed, but I have no choice. We can't be gone too long. We haven't been on the ride too long, maybe 15 minutes, but I don't want to raise any suspicion either. Plus, I don't know what to make of all this. Maybe escaping the moment is the best decision. I hit the throttle, zoom off, and Liv's body sticks to mine, now superglued together as we rip through the open water. The only thing I hear, though, is the sound of Liv's beating heart against my back. I try to bask in the fleeting moment, but her heart is playing the sweetest song for me, and the ride goes by even quicker. The music begins to skip like a scratched record and the bravado of a man's voice breaks the soft notes that guided me back to the boat. You're back already? Tim shouts from the boat as we arrive. Maybe we haven't been gone as long as I thought. A side effect of guilt, possibly. I wish I had taken more time. Damn it. Molly and Emma simultaneously blurt out, Did you have fun? It was fun, Liv says. Different from what I expected. Tim laughs. Was she a lot to handle? He asks. That comment makes the guilt swirl inside me. How can I answer that question? I put myself in this situation, though. Was it worth it? I suppose. At least I'm not the initiator. Not this time, anyway. It's the only way I'll be able to make peace with it. She was fine, Tim, I say. Jack and Emma's eyes are telling a different story than anyone else's. Some time passes, and we're all sitting down to eat a late lunch. I'm not in the mood to drink after the morning cocktails, so I nurse one Tom Collins for most of the day and enjoy the surface-level chatting with everyone. I only want to punch Undercuffler in the face once. I consider that an achievement. Most of my thinking is about what happened on the jet ski. Liv is very ginger around me. I expect nothing less, though. I really want to tell her I met Ty, but I don't know how to bring it up. 
What would Ty say? I can't decide whether he'd tell me to go all in or pull back. I zone out watching the cook flip hamburgers, and just like ground beef, every element of my predicament seems to be intrinsically linked with bacteria. Quite honestly, that's the hardest part. There are potential issues everywhere. In that way, maybe my burger isn't even getting cooked. I'm willingly eating a raw one. Chapter 15 After a long day on the water, everyone rests up at the house so they can make the most of the evening. Tim wants to take Undercuffler and I out for a guy's night in Miami. Under most circumstances, this would be right up my alley, a perfect city to dance with the devil, Luke Handley's everywhere, and debauchery waiting on every corner. In Miami, there's a natural sex appeal that drips into the water supply. It taps the city's main vein and leaks out of every pore. You can't escape it. I just want to make it to the morning, creep out of bed at 6am, and go one more round with Ty. At this rate, I'll be lucky to be home by 6am. That's Miami at its best, though. And people say they love coffee, too. Then, when you dig a bit deeper, you find out they're drinking it with milk and sugar. If that's coffee, then Miami might just be Boca Raton. Or worse, you find out they're drinking decaf, might as well be Naples at that point. You can always run into some stiff who wants to be all politically correct. Well, there's a lot of ways you can experience Miami. This is true, but there's only one way it's meant to be experienced. That's why it exists the way it does. And once you've had it that way, anything else just feels like fake coffee. This is my problem. I know Miami and every ounce of pleasure that goes with it. An unrelenting stimulation factory that tempts you even while you're eating the main course. So, like I say, under normal circumstances, this kind of decadence would be perfect for a guy's night. But don't be fooled, this meant a girl's night had the potential to be just as scandalous. Miami has an equal effect on both men and women. Actually, that's what makes it so dangerous. With all that being, Liv, Molly, and Emma decide to hit the town on their own as well. Of course, Jack will tag along with us. We head to dinner at a hot spot on the Miami River called Rhythm. The name is apt because it's a restaurant that turns into a dance party. These places aren't really restaurants in the traditional sense. They're more like restaurants-slash-lounges, perfect for people trying to disguise their fun. Like the 1950s lounges, where people sat at tables, ate dinner, and watched some performance. The tables don't actually get removed or anything. That's still your home base for the night. But as the music starts to get louder and more festive, the place no longer feels like a joint where you just ate $60 steak with a $300 bottle of wine. And once the alcohol really starts flowing, your body catches fire, and you always end up wishing you were in the outfit you were born in, not some dinner attire. Rhythm is an open-air spot, mostly indoor, but the entire backside is exposed to the Miami River. The only thing left to cool you down is the light breeze coming off the water. It has a DJ, and she has a real sense of the crowd. Her song choices tickle your toes, make you want to move, and gradually go from softer to more upbeat as the night rolls on. It's about 11pm, and a special burlesque show ensues. The performers waft and float through the crowded tables in their provocative attire, while the music gets more dramatic and dark. It's Rhythm's way of letting you know the devil has arrived. So instead of dinner being delivered to the table... 
now is the time to start having bottles of your favorite champagne brought to you instead. On that note, I raise my hand to signal the waitress. I look at Tim, and he says, Whatever you want, big guy. Undercuffler's eyes are glued on the show. Lost puppy syndrome. Someone has to remind him they don't take singles. Jack's already walking on water. Right now, the only thing that can slow him down is another plane episode. Fuck, I don't even want to think about that. I tell the waitress, A couple bottles of champagne and a bottle of gin. She shouts over the music. What kind? Tim hears the exchange and shouts, The best! The waitress shouts, Are you sure? Don't kill me, just bring the good stuff. We're celebrating, he says. Ask this guy about the gin. Gotcha, she says to Tim, then looks at me. So? Monkey 47 if you got it, I say. She nods. I realize we're already pretty tipsy from dinner, and once we start to put a dent in those bottles, who knows where we might end up. I ask Undercuffler, You having a good time? I can't believe the body of this woman, he says with his eyes glued to the performer. She is stacked, plus she can contort her body in ways that defy gravity, and any sane man would be thinking the same thing, what she's like in the sack. Undercuffler, no doubt, is a sane man. Jack says, I know a place where we could see a lot of that. Undercuffler almost jumps. Where? I thought Undercuffler was sane, but never witty. Only a straight wouldn't know what Jack meant almost immediately. Tim screeches out, Me too! Well, I guess Tim isn't a straight. Jack and Tim clearly have a titty bar on their mind. I'd expect that from Jack, but from Tim, it's a little bit of a shock. I mean, he's married to Liv. I guess it's not that big of a deal. You can see worse on television these days. Uh, Who am I to judge? I know nothing about married life, aside from what friends have told me, and, of course... Jack's willful experience. We all know how that worked out. The way Liv has mentioned her current state, it's hard to imagine that she would even care. It's Guy's code to turn a blind eye to this stuff anyway. A tough pill to swallow given the circumstances. I'm sort of brooding watching Tim flirt with random women. I mean, we are all flirting with women as the night progresses, and as liquid courage starts to take hold, you become more flappable. Or how should I say it? Hmm. You get loose lips. I take the opportunity to clarify Undercuffler's snake move earlier in the day. For the record, I didn't bang Leanna last night, I say over the music. I passed out like a dad on Thanksgiving. Everyone cracks up. Jack slurs. For the record, I did bang Emma last night. We did awful. I cut him off. Okay, we get the point. Everyone laughs again. Undercuffler yells out. Well, I guess, for the record, I had sex with my wife last night. We raise our glasses, continue to crack up, and yell, Congrats, Mark. This is as pure a guy moment as they get, but here I am like a ninja in the night, waiting to hear what Tim is going to say. Then, like a judge dropping his gavel, he declares, For the record, I also had sex with my wife last night. (sighs) The weight of a hundred bricks has been dropped on my heart. He continues, And it was the first time in over a year. We all just sit there until Jack shouts, Well, that explains why I hear you've been a real asshole in the office. Tim and Undercuffler both look at me. I look at Jack. Jack continues, Just kidding! We all erupt again in laughter, except this time my smile is plastic. Liv slept with Tim? 
It's her husband, but it's hard to cancel out my feelings for her. What we don't see, we don't know, so it doesn't have to be real. I heard it, though, and it became real. Too real. But there is that little wrinkle. Over a year? What was that about? Could her thinking I slept with Leanna have something to do with Tim finally getting laid? For the first time in over a year? Huh, I actually feel vindication that she might have had revenge sex with her husband. A shitty feeling, but a true one, nonetheless. Maybe Liv really does care about me? Oddly, it's the only jolt I need to keep the night PG. I'm on my best behavior now. Some time passes, and Jack keeps pointing at his watch, then pointing to the door. I say, What? Jack slurs, Strip club, we're losing time. I shake my head and point at Tim and Undercuffler. They're both seated in their chairs, slouched over, and eyes half-closed. An old guy and a young old guy, showing their lack of stamina. Jack is trying like hell to get me to go to the titty bar, but no way I'm giving in. I just don't know what Tim might say to live. Pillow talk. The reason for Tim being at the titty bar, or something. It's common for married guys to blame their single friends for bad behavior. I don't want to be the scapegoat, or the renegade outlaw. Not in this situation. I have too much at stake. I can't risk stoking Liv or Tim's fire. We all stumble into the Golden Beach House around 3am. It's early for a Miami night, but everyone is barely standing. Hooting, hollering, and huddling around the kitchen island, eating leftovers from the first couple days. I gotta log in a couple hours of sleep so I can get to that coffee shop in the morning. I have to try and catch Ty one more time. I'm about to leave the kitchen and head into the bedroom when Tim says, One of... Hmm. Well. He stops, then starts again. I completely forgot. He says, I might have to head back tomorrow. Where? Rhythm? Undercuffler says. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> No, New York, Tim says. I stop chewing on the cheese I'm eating, and Undercuffler looks confused while bracing himself on the kitchen island with one hand. New York? What? I ask. Earlier today I got an email from Lorelai. You know my secretary? We all nod. Well, Perkins's secretary emailed her today and told her there was a meeting EP needs me to be at on Monday morning. When our CEO and founder says jump, you ask how high not lie down instead. If he is being summoned, Tim has no choice. Jack says, See? We should have just stayed out tonight and made the most of it. <laughs> well, there's the door, Tim says. Jack begins to walk toward it, and I rattle him in. He was kidding, Jack, I say. Jack looks at me with googly eyes. <laughs> I knew that. Why didn't you tell us earlier? Undercuffler asks. We were having such a good time, I didn't want to ruin it with water cooler talk, Tim replies. Well, that sucks, I say. I guess, but I'll figure it out in the morning, Tim says. I need some sleep. He looks at each of us. Actually, you all do, he shouts. Especially this guy. He points to Jack, who is eating dip with his bare fingers. I want to razz him, but my brain feels like that dip looks. Mushy. <laughs> Tim is right. It's time to rest. Chapter 16 The sun creeping over the horizon wakes me up Sunday morning. 
My lips are stuck together and my mouth is stone dry. The lingering effects of one too many cocktails. Ugh, damn Tom Collins. I reach for my phone on the nightstand and check the time with one eye. Shit, it's already half past six. I gotta get to that coffee shop. I find the nearest pair of shorts, throw on the same t-shirt I wore yesterday, and a pair of sandy flip-flops. No one's in the kitchen, so quiet you can hear a mouse run, and makes me consider how noisy I am. Six hours of sleep in two days, filled with food, booze, sun, and life problems, just ain't enough to keep you thinking clearly. I drink an entire liter of water, waiting for the Uber. I know the only thing that really quells the booze blues is sleep, but I want to see Ty. Time isn't exactly something I have in excess. The Uber comes plowing into the driveway like a monster truck. It's an older pickup with an extended cab. The driver looks like he slept less hours than me, maybe out chasing gators all night or something. I tell him, sun's up coffee shop. I see it on the phone, he says. Oh, great, he's an asshole too. Best way to stymie an asshole is with kindness, but I have no patience for that, so I just stoop to his level. Last night was a rough one for me, I say. I think I woke up drunk. He picks up a cup and hawks a loogie into it that sounds like he's been building for a week. Heh, <laughs> I hear that. There's a stench permeating throughout the truck that I just can't ignore. Worse than a skunk, at least that smell is familiar. I'm in the back cab and the pickup is too dated. I don't have my own window. I'm trapped in a hot box, or worse, some kind of torture chamber. The more I analyze my surroundings, the more I feel like I'm in the beginning of a horror movie. I can't tell if it's South Florida anymore. Terrible situation for a normal morning, never mind a hangover. Hey, do you mind cracking the window? I ask. He doesn't say anything, just rolls the window down a little bit. Not even his open window can get rid of that horrendous smell. The slight breeze doesn't cool me down, it just moves the stink closer to my nostrils. At one point, my eyes start to water. He just leans over and spits into the cup again. Why can't he just spit out the window? Only a savage dumps his phlegm in a cup next to him, when he has a window to his left. I know the coffee shop is near, so I decide to keep my mouth shut. I only see the downside, death by axe to chest, or death by ingesting toxic waste. Keeping my mouth closed is the best option. Finally, one sweet word comes to my rescue. Here, he says. I hop out the truck with such exuberance I almost trip over my flip-flops. The smell of coffee roasting is the exact opposite of what I have just endured. It's like nose sex. I stumble to the entrance and almost rip the old wooden door straight off the hinges. Once inside, I look over to where I expect Ty to be, but his table is empty. Uh, there's not even a used New York Times or anything. Actually, there's nobody in here at all. I haven't felt this let down since I found out Liv was married to Tim. Ah, there is still so much I want to ask Ty. Where is he? I didn't even get to talk to him about music or the guitar. No sleep for this? I'm tired, potentially still drunk, and all I want is to get back to bed. I look out the window, and the Uber driver still hasn't left yet. I'm not getting back in that truck with that hillbilly. No way. I hear the bathroom door slam shut. My eyes shoot up. I have the hope of a child on Christmas morning. Ty? The balloon of hope is popped. Poof, it's gone. It's a short man, the same man who was here yesterday morning. I can't remember his name for the life of me, so I ask him. Hey, sir, do you remember me from yesterday? 
He puts his apron on and ties the drawstrings. I get a lot of people, amigo, he says. I wish I could remember everyone. He begins to pour some beans into a large coffee grinder. Do you know the man who usually sits in the corner over there? I point to Ty's table. He snaps back. What's it to you? You ask too many questions. So, you know him? He stops pouring the beans and points at the door. Do you want a coffee or not? He shouts. Otherwise, get out of here, pendejo. Why is this guy being so damn hostile with me? Look, sir, I don't mean any problems. I just met him yesterday, here. He cuts me off. A lot of people meet him here, he says. He's a regular, and I look out for regulars. They're family. Truth be told, I respect that. I just really want to know where the hell Ty is, and when he will be back. I can't come right out and say it, though. I might get a fistful of coffee beans in my face. Okay, but I sat down with him for a while, right over there yesterday. His name is Ty, I say. And you came over and refilled our mugs, right around the same time as now. Ty told me I can always find him here. The man stops pouring the beans and stares at me. I'm waiting for the beans to start flying any second. Wait a minute. What's your name? My name is Christian. He steps down from pouring the beans and smiles. Well, why the heck didn't you just say so, amigo? Go figure. It almost seems too simple. Ty had to hit the road for a while, but he actually stopped by last night before we closed up to drop something off for you. He did? He told me if a young guy named Christian comes back, he had something for him, he says. Sorry I gave you shit, amigo. Ty is who he is, you know? Sometimes we get fans or groupies in here. Is who he is. It never crossed my mind until right now that Ty might be somebody. Whatever that means. I didn't even know Ty existed until yesterday, but I guess that's the effect of doing stuff in the public eye. Diehards know everything, even session players apparently. He continues, And I protect loyal customers. Like I said, family for me. Now I'm anxious. So, what is it? I ask. What? The thing Ty gave you for me. Oh, right. I don't know, he says. Let me get it. He goes in back, returns within seconds, and hands me a white envelope that has Christian written on it in black ink. What's your name? I ask. Lewis. Right, I remember now. Thanks, Lewis. No worries. So, would you like a cup of coffee? Lewis asks. Black, please. Go sit, he says. I bring it over. I sit at the same table as yesterday. I open the envelope, and inside, there's a handwritten note. Christian, man, I had a feeling you would be back. I guess it means I didn't lay it on you too thick. I don't have much more to give you. I'm just an aging musician with a lot of mileage on these tires. The dots connected along the way, as they will with you, but you always gotta look at what's in front of you. You know... People think people change, but that's bullshit. I've seen a lot of people come and go over the years. People don't change, their interests change. Same person doing different stuff. Ain't nothing wrong with that either. Sure, you might lose some along the way, but you won't lose you, and that's the most important person not to lose. I don't want to get all highbrow on you. I'm just a fucking guitarist. (laughs) Just don't kill yourself with consumption, kid. It's too easy to live a whole life creating nothing. 
I'll never tell you anything more important than that. Enjoy the guitar pick. See you around. Ty. P.S. Let Lewis know he's been making the coffee a tad hot lately. I look in the envelope and there is a teardrop jazz pick with the initial TW. Fuck, how cool is this? One of Ty's guitar picks. I lift my head up. Oh, here comes Lewis with my coffee and a newspaper under his left arm. Here you are, amigo, he says. Ah, in a mug, too, I say. What a guy. Of course, always a mug for family, amigo, he says. I almost forgot Ty wanted me to give you this also. He hands me a copy of the New York Times. <laughs> Thanks, Lewis, I say and laugh to myself. Oh, and uh, one more thing. Ty says you've been making the coffee a tad too hot. What did you say, Pendejo? He shouts. I make the coffee at the perfect temperature every time. If he doesn't like it, he doesn't have to drink it. He pauses, looks at me, and continues. Next thing you're going to tell me is how to roast, too. I sit there like I just saw a ghost. What the fuck just happened? The door is right there, he says. I'm sorry, I was just... I never make the coffee too hot, Lewis says. Ty's screwing with you. Phew, I was worried for a second, I say. Ty set me up. Lewis starts laughing, and I crack a smile. Go on, Lewis says. Enjoy your coffee. I do just that, but find myself looking out the window more than reading the paper. I don't want to read the paper. I don't ever read. Fuck, I hate reading. It's torture. I only manage to flip through the pages, but there's something about the feeling of just sitting here that's unmistakable. Hard to explain, but quiet and different. Still making an effort, I go to the sports section. This feels more intuitive, easy to read about the Yanks. I move along, flipping through the pages, trying to find something of interest. Some things I read and others I pass over. The thing that seems to captivate me the most is the obituaries. Dead people. Obituaries make everyone sound important. So many lives, each one meaningful to someone out there. I didn't notice it last time I was in here, but Sun's Up has no air conditioning. It's this sweltering morning that pulls that into focus. Even though it's hot as shit in here, the stillness enables me to hear, smell, taste, feel, and see everything. It's sort of like the feeling I get when I'm with Liv. I can sense stuff deep in my core, just like a footprint in the sand. Things sink only where they need to. Everything else just floats. With a heightened sense of emotions, I begin to think about Liv. Is she what's in front of me? That's what Ty keeps saying. Pay attention to what's in front of you. Life is confusing, but love is good for a mushy brain. That I know. It gives you a high-voltage heart, electricity in your veins, and spark plugs for fingertips. Life starts to make sense. Maybe love is the moral center of your life. That's why you need it. I didn't want to fuck Leanna. I didn't want to go to the strip club. Shit, I just want to be different for Liv. I want her to see me as I see Ty, but I don't want to be Ty. It's the enamor I want to duplicate. Damn, this corner seat is powerful. It's time I ask myself the question, what have I created? Ty seems insistent on that. I take my own temperature and come up hot, very hot. It's obvious I haven't truly created much. I'm a consumer through and through. Alcohol, women, drugs, bars, cars, clothes, music, all consumed. Maybe I'm creating a career for myself, but am I really? I'm on the brink of disaster and verge of destruction. 
I'm teetering on throwing away seven years of service and successful track record. If I don't get my shit together, get strong, then it's possible. Why is love such a powerful drug? I slip back into the real world when Lewis greets a customer, a man in flip-flops buying coffees for an SUV full of people outside. I can hear Lewis say, Nice day out there, huh? It is, the man says, heading up to Disney for a week. Enjoy, amigo. I watch him walk out the door and jump back in the car. The people are grinning from ear to ear, coffees in hand. And like that, they're gone. I run my hand through my hair, rub my eyes, grab a napkin, and blow my nose. Cars zip by on the road. The shapes, colors, and models all seem to mess with my mind. They're all saying something to me. One says, don't be an idiot, Christian. Another says, fight for her, dummy. I give my head one good shake and open my eyes wide. I swallow the last of my coffee, flip through the times once more, and read an obituary. I signal to Lewis. He sees me and asks, Refill? Yes, please. One minute, he says. I have to let it cool. It's a fresh pot. Chapter 17 When I get back to the house, Tim is drinking coffee alone in the kitchen. His face is buried in his laptop screen while the TV plays news in the background. As soon as I walk toward him, he lifts his head. Jeez, you just scared the lights out of me. Oh, sorry about that, I say. Where the heck were you, he says. I figured you were still knocked out sleeping. Oh, you know, just got some coffee, couldn't sleep. Yeah, the booze will do that to you, he says. Heck of a night last night. You having a good time? Oh, yeah. I say, without hesitation. That place was sick. Everything has been top-notch this weekend. I can't thank you enough. You don't have to thank me, he says. You earned all of this. Where'd you get coffee? I pretend to not remember for a few seconds. Hmm. Sun's up, I think it's called? He smirks and says, That little shithole? There's a Starbucks right down the road. Hey, it wasn't so bad, I say. Hey, whatever floats your boat, Tim says. You haven't forgotten about what I told you, right? I actually have no idea what he is talking about. Damn booze. Oh, he's talking about the promotion. How can I forget, I tell him. Just making sure all those Tom Collins drinks don't damage your brain, he says. We share a brief laugh, then he continues. We drank enough for a small village last night. I need you at full strength. If only he knew the extent of it. Last night was par for the course. My great work performance has always been conducted under a veil of consumption. Consumption of booze, well, and other things. So, what was all that about having to leave last night? I ask. Tim picks his head up from the laptop. Oh, that's what I'm doing now. I need to fly out this afternoon, and I'm looking for flights. Yeah? It's part of the gig. I wish I could stay, but if EP wants me there, I gotta be there. He says. You get it. I certainly do get it. It's part of being in the shit sandwich of management. What I don't understand is what that means for the rest of this trip. I do, I say. So do you want us to fly back with you then? God no, he says. You stay until tomorrow as planned. Go out in Miami, have some fun. Enjoy yourself. Who's gonna lock up the house? Oh, don't worry about that. Olivia told me she's going to stay down here to lock up. Hmm, maybe I should just leave today, 
I say. Tim stares at me. Christian, if you leave, I'll consider it an insult. I won't take no for an answer. Okay, okay. This is not good. This development has trouble written all over it. I think about going to take a nap, to rest, and gather myself, but I'm still a little on edge from the coffee earlier. Plus, the sun is calling my name. I think I'll go take a dip in the pool, I tell Tim. With his head in the laptop, he says, Have fun. I head to my room and throw on my swim trunks. I don't want to go back through the kitchen and risk having more conversation, so I head to the pool through the sliding door in my bedroom. My mind is still on a wild goose chase from the experience this morning. And now Tim is leaving? Liv is going to be here alone? I jump in, wait around, and do a few laps, then rest my back on the side facing the intercoastal. What if I had gone to Starbucks instead of Sun's Up? Hmm, I wonder. But meeting Ty was only a slight reprieve, a comforting moment for my wandering mind to escape the chaos. Actually, I find a better band-aid. I slide my head under the water, hold my breath, and hide from my predicament. I come up to the surface, twist my head wildly, feel my hair spin, and watch beads of water glide through the air, then splash into the pool. Each drop creates the faintest ripple that subsides within seconds. I run my hands through my hair, then take my index finger and thumb and run them down the sides of my nose. Ah, nothing like clearing your sinuses. When I drift to the other side of the pool, there's a clear view of Undercuffler and Molly having coffee in the kitchen. Deeper in the background, I see someone else moving, coming into focus little by little. It's Liv. My heart skips a beat. Her hair is pulled back, just like the first night I met her. I slide back under the water to take resolve from a scene that represents my immediate future. Undercuffler, Tim, and Liv. When I come back up, Undercuffler is standing at the edge of the pool and looking at me. I thought you weren't ever coming back up, he says. I still can't get over those performers last night. Undercuffler's still stuck on the performers. <laughs> Has he ever been out before? Ah, it was a good time though. That place was rockin', I tell him. You can say that again, he says. So, I wanted to give you a heads up. Molly and I are flying back this afternoon. I just talked to Tim. The little one has gotten sick, and since Tim is flying back, we figure we're going to call it too. We're going to ride back with him to the airport. Plus, it's going to rain tonight. Now that his kiss-ass session with Tim is about to commence, he doesn't mind bailing. Typical undercuffler. Oh, really? I say. Yeah, we just think it's best for the baby. No, I meant about the rain. Ha, <laughs> you dick. Kidding, I say. Tim said that you and your butt buddy are going to ride it out. What did you say? He laughs. That came out wrong. You and Jack are going to be staying till tomorrow. I just nod my head and splash a little water on his leg. Oh, what the heck? He shouts. I'm going to go pack. Sounds good, buddy. I dunk my head back under the water before I have to hear anything else, and the stillness surrounds me. I didn't know about the weather. Whatever, there's much worse than spending a rainy night in Miami. Tim's either lost in his own world, or he really doesn't give a shit about Liv staying down here alone. Either way, the dominoes keep falling out of the way. As it appears, tonight will be Liv, Emma, Jack, and I, and the only danger is my bleeding heart. I'm a hazard only to myself. I'm just hoping I don't bleed out. This time, when I come back up, I'm gasping for air an instant reminder that even too much of a good thing can be damaging. After catching my breath, I look up at the luminous house covered in sunlight. 
the same one purchased on the back of sorrow and darkness. A little girl had to die for it. Jack comes fumbling out of the sliders from my room, wearing a tank top, pair of black mesh shorts, and nothing on his feet. Good thing we didn't go to the strip joint, he says, squinting through the sun. I woke up hurt this morning. I splash some water on him. Hey, he says. I'm barely moving right now. I need to wake your ass up, sleeping beauty, I say. We've got an escalating situation on our hands. He sits down on one of the pool chairs. Huh? What's that? Everyone is leaving except Liv. That gets his eyes to open a little wider. What? He says. What did you do? I didn't do anything, dude. Do you think I'd be floating here? Well, what the hell is going on? You don't remember what Tim said last night? I ask him. He's clueless. I proceed to tell him the situation. Tim got summoned. Undercuffler and Molly have to go play mom and dad. So now we'll be here on our own with Liv and Emma too. So what does that mean for us? Good question. I haven't thought that far yet. I know I want to spend time with Liv. Fuck it. What else would I do? Anyone would do the same thing, but I can't just come right out and say it to Jack. Well, last night in Miami, might as well do it up, he says. I don't respond. He continues. Right? Yeah, I mean, let's play it by ear, I say. Your girl is still here, though. Who? Emma, I say, then laugh. Ah, ha, another night with her? I don't know, dude. You're an asshole, I say. Jack starts to crack a smile. Me? What about you? He shouts. I'm over here with you in some weird fantasy land while you play hide and seek. Fantasy land? I say. He snaps back. How was that jet ski ride yesterday, huh? I dunk my head under the water again. When I come up, Jack is sporting a devilish grin. Why the delay, Christian? More hide and seek? <sighs> Fuck this. I don't have to tell him shit. But this is what guys do. Especially friends who have known each other for years. They pry and break balls. Do you really want to know? I don't know, do I? She gave me a freaking reach around, dude. He starts to cackle louder than a hen in the morning. Dude, you are so fucked, he says. You just keep digging that grave further. You're almost six feet now. Soon you'll need a casket and a few nails. Not exactly what I'm looking to hear, but I don't expect anything less from him. I can't tell him that it's more than just a physical attraction. He'd think I'm insane. I'm not about to go down that road with him until this thing with Liv plays itself out a little more. It's a total ego thing. Some real macho bullshit that you can't escape growing up a guy's guy. You have no idea, dude, I whisper. To make matters worse, Tim offered me a promotion. The guy under him is stepping down and he wants me to step in. What the? He says. What does that mean? Well, more money, more responsibility, managing a team, basically another rung on the ladder. Oh, and more time with Tim. Christ, dude, he says. I've been in some hairy spots, but this one is pretty damn hairy. I know, I know. If I'm you, I abort the mission, he says. ASAP. I hop out of the pool, grab a towel from the rack tucked up against the house, and wonder what that even means. Abort mission. <laughs> like he of all people should talk. I look into the kitchen and cross eyes with Liv. Damn it. Tim's still on his laptop with his back to me. Meanwhile, she's peering over his shoulder, eyeing me up and down.
Her look says, I know we're going to be here alone tonight. Those eyes are creating mini paper cuts all over my shirtless body. What the? I escape the moment and look over my left shoulder to see Jack lying on the lounge chair with one leg hanging off and his left arm over his forehead. Hey, buddy, you alright? He yells back. I'm good. Just chillin'. Gotta be ready for tonight. I look back into the kitchen, and Tim is waving for me to come inside. Damn it. I open the sliding door. Uh, what's up? He says. Uh, it's already eleven, and my flight leaves at one. I just wanted to say goodbye. Wow, you're leaving already? It was the best option. I have to leave now if I'm going to make it. I understand. He gets up from the stool, walks over to me, shakes my hand, and pulls me in for a hug. I had a great time. It sucks we have to cut it short, but enjoy the night. I'll see you back at the office, he says. Big things on the horizon, my friend. I can only respond. Thanks, Tim. Get back safely. Oh, and tonight, while I'm gone, one rule, he says to me. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And that final request gives me a chill down to the bones. Chapter 18 The sound of the rain on the window could keep me dreaming all day, but something breaks the spell I'm under and my left eye starts to peel open. I flail on the bed and feel around as if I'm searching for lost keys, but all I grab is air. I'm not under the covers either. I raise my head and there's a blurry shadow that needs to be put into focus. Like that, I'm hit with an uppercut that opens my right eye. Liv is standing in the doorway. What are you doing? I ask. She responds. You looked so peaceful I didn't want to wake you. You didn't answer my question, I say. Let's try another. What time is it? It's almost 5 p.m., she says with a smirk. I can't believe I napped for that long. I shake out the cobwebs. Where's Jack? Not sure. I think he went shopping. He said something about not bringing enough clothes. And everyone else? They left hours ago. I'm here alone with Liv. A perfect manifestation of my desires is being gifted to me on a silver platter. The sight of her in yoga pants and bare feet makes little Christians start to move. Oh fuck, I'm helpless. I bet you didn't expect this, you know, Liv says. Us being here, alone, together. You can say that, I say. It's crazy that Tim had to go back. She rolls her eyes. What? You didn't really believe that, she says. Did you? That he had to go back? He's probably sleeping with the secretary again. Who, Lorelai? It wouldn't be the first time. What the? I rub my eyes. Again? I guess you never really know somebody. It doesn't surprise me. Late nights, rocky relationship. Still, what an asshole. Not her, Liv continues. It happened before he was at Perkins. I shouldn't have said it, he is still your boss. Don't remind me, I say with a smirk. She cracks a smile, then just looks at me with her shoulder and head leaning on the doorframe. Forget it, she says. We're here now. I consider asking more questions about Tim, but it doesn't matter. She's right. We're here now. Do you like it? I ask her. 
Like what, being here with you? I nod. Yeah, don't ask silly questions, she says. You didn't answer the question, you know? She smiles and shouts, Of course, you're in my mind all the time. Hearing that provides quick electroshock treatment for my heart. She continues, Are you? I know what she's asking, but I like playing games, so I ask, Are I what? Don't get all coy with me, she says. Happy to be here alone with me. I'm undoubtedly enthused, but reluctant to say it aloud, so I murmur, Yes. What? Yes, Liv, yes, I say in a louder voice. I feel something for you I haven't felt for anybody. There, are you happy I said it? She giggles, almost like she enjoys getting a rise out of me. (laughs) Whoa, pal, take it easy. I snicker. Okay, that was a little abrupt, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, but don't worry. I kinda liked it. So what happened to never seeing each other again? I ask. Well, technically we didn't, right? She says. We already knew we'd see each other here. That's true. Sometimes situations just present themselves and sometimes they're created, she says, and pauses for a second. I think ours just presented itself. Like on the jet ski yesterday, I say. Just presented itself, right? She smiles. I can't help but smile back. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, Liv standing in the doorway. We just gaze at each other for a minute or two. The raindrops splashing on the window mirror my heartbeat. Pitter, patter, pitter, patter. Pump, pump, pump. Perfect synchrony. I want to take you somewhere, Liv says. It's a five-minute walk. But it's raining. So? You've never walked in the rain before? She asks. Upon consideration, I never have actually walked in the rain. I mean, I've got stuck in the rain, but I've never intentionally walked in the rain. Well, there's a first time for everything, she says. It's only up the street. Plus, I have an umbrella. Her smile widens, then she continues. Come on, let's go. She's right. There is a first time for everything, and this whole situation feels like it's been dropped in via helicopter just for us to spend more time together. There's no shot I was ever going to say no. Let's go, I say. She says, I'll meet you at the front door, then turns away, and I hear her voice trailing. I'm going to throw something heavier on. I hop out of bed and put on a zip-up hoodie. I go to meet Liv and she's waiting at the front door wearing a hoodie and a pair of oversized rubber rain boots. I look down at my flip-flops, and she does too. I shrug and she laughs. While holding the umbrella above our heads, we walk through what now feels like a gentle rain. It's more peaceful than I imagined. No wind gusts helps, but any time I open my mouth, Liv cuts me off. Shh, we're almost there. I don't push and take her word for it. She points. You see? Straight ahead? I squint to see a white stucco gate across the street that reads, Town of Golden Beach, established 1929. There's not much traffic on the road. We cross over with ease. What is this place? It's the town's beach park, she says. Beach park? Well, I don't know, she says. That's what they call it. Oh, Miss Pissy Pants, I say. Relax. She stops us in her tracks, looks at me, and opens her eyes. Well, I'm just saying. In front of us stands a large white pavilion with pillars, arches, and a Spanish tile roof. 
It kind of reminds me of Jack's villa back home. It's open with some built-in tables underneath it. Not a soul is here. Liv and I walk under the pavilion as the rainfall starts to pick up. Good timing, I guess. In the park, there's some covered outdoor furniture, white sand that's getting pounded with raindrops, and an empty lifeguard tower off to the right. Palm trees line the sides of the property and lead you into the Atlantic Ocean. I drop the umbrella to our side. We look out toward the water with our hoodies fully zipped, covering our heads, and our hands stuffed into the kangaroo pockets. I wanted you to see this, Liv says. I look at Liv while she stays focused on the water. I can see strands of blonde hair poking out of her hood and falling to either side of her face. On a nice day, it's probably amazing, I say. Liv taps me on the shoulder. I meant, I wanted you to see it now, she says. I love coming here in the rain. She pauses for a moment. It's just so quiet. Nobody comes here in the rain. It's this beautiful moment that everyone neglects. They run from it, Liv says. Look at the ocean, it just goes and goes for miles, and the waves keep tumbling in. The rain falls on the surface and doesn't even affect it. The water gets rougher though, I say. Sure, it gets rocky, but it just keeps moving along, she says. I guess I want to be more like the ocean. This thought intrigues me, but there is just one thing I can't wrap my head around. Why would anyone want to stand in the rain if they didn't have to, I ask. She finally looks at me. <laughs> I think you're missing the point. It's not about wanting to stand in the rain. It's about not hiding from the rain, not being affected by it, because it's going to rain. It's always going to rain, eventually. I knew this would happen, damn it. It happens every time I'm alone with Liv. Her aura pulls me into orbit. I get lost in her eyes while traveling through her mind, completely enamored. It's the uninfluenced Liv that enthralls me, the live that lives inside live. That live illuminates through with natural sensibilities. You're beautiful. Do you know that? She giggles. Don't flatter me. No, no. I mean it. Not the way you look, but everything. I don't look beautiful? Liv asks. Yeah, yes. You're beautiful, but it's the way you think, too. It's everything. She smiles. I know what you meant. I just wanted to hear you say it again. I smack my head. There it is again, I say. Your beauty pops up in flashes. Wait, so it's not always there? She asks. You got me once, I say. You're not going to get me again. She nudges me with her hand tucked into the end of her sweater sleeve. You cold? I ask. Not really, she says. I just always do this with my hands. She taps my shoulder, then grabs it and gives me two or three shakes. Are you all right? I say. Sorry, I got excited. I thought of something. You know what would make this better? Oh, God. What? The guitar. Ah, yes, music always adds to the moment, I say. But it would kill your quietness. That would be worth it for me, she says. You're really good, Christian. Oh, forget the guitar, it just feels good to be on her mind, even when I'm not with her. Maybe I thought that already. Either way, I like the reassurance. Well, you bring the best out of me. I already like you, she says. You don't have to lie to me. I can't help but laugh. I'm not lying, I say with a big smile. Anyway, I still can't get over that your favorite album is Imagine. Christian, she says, 
I love that album. I know, I know. Before Liv can get another word in about the album, I have an epiphany. Oh my god. I nudge her on the shoulder now. Geez, what is it? She says. I almost forgot. I met Ty. No way. Really? When? It's crazy, I know, I say. I met him at this little coffee shop. Sun's up? Yes, how'd you know? Ty is always at that place, she says. Ha, right, I found that out. He's kind of famous, you know, she says. I mean, strangers know who he is. Some strangers. I know, I found that out too, I say. I can't believe you didn't tell me who he was. Not even that he played the guitar. She scratches her head. I didn't tell you any of that. I must have been distracted or something. What's the matter? Were you dazed and dazzled by a dashing young man? Oh, please, she says. Bewildered and hassled is more like it. Yeah, right. Give me a break. Joking, she says. I guess I was a little distracted. I smile, knowing that we are firing on all cylinders. Is there a better feeling in the world? She continues. Well, anyway, I'm happy you met him. Me too. I hope you got to talk with him for a little while. I did, I did, I tell her. He... Somewhere in the middle of this exchange with Liv, I realize I don't want to divulge everything about the interaction between me and Ty. For some strange reason, I want to keep it private. Undoubtedly, Liv thinks well of Ty, but I'm afraid that anything from her mouth might ruin the image I have of him in my head. I want him to be that person. I'd do the same for her. I'd protect her in my mind. It's the least you can do for someone you think highly of. You protect that image and relationship, or at least do what you can. The sky begins to get darker, ocean tougher to see, our precious scene is coming to an end. We head back through rain before we lose any more sunlight with the umbrella over our heads. It gives us a sense of security, but how long will we have that? It's about halfway back, and I ask Liv, Are you the ocean? She looks at me and tilts her head to the side. I begin to set the umbrella down. She says, What are you doing? Well, being like the ocean, right? She smiles at me and nods. Leave it. We lie the umbrella on the road to wait for the next person who might need it. The rain pours on our heads without a care in the world. A neglected moment that would be mine and Liv's forever. I'm not sure what is being held tighter, the grip of our hands or smile on our faces. We arrive at the house. She fumbles the keys while I stand there, observing her, just like two teenagers on their first date. Do you know the only thing that would make this better? I say. What? If I kissed you. Well, kiss me, she says. So, while raindrops continue soaking our hair and running on our faces, we share the most cliche kiss of all time. But you know, it lives up to the hype. It's a delicate and fragile exchange of honesty, pure like the Virgin Mary, a kiss that will linger for eternity, at least in my mind. We step through the doorway, I flick on the light, and almost instantly I hear a banging noise. Liv and I look at each other, wet and shivering, and for a moment we both think the worst. Tim? The sound is coming from across the house. I squint and see someone banging on the glass doors that open to the pool. Holy shit, it's Jack. I run through the house, soaking wet, and open the sliding door. I tried texting you, calling you, nothing, he yells. Where the fuck have you been? I feel around in my pockets, front, back, sweatshirt, and come up empty. 
Shit, I must have left my phone here, I say. I thought you were with Emma. I took an Uber back here because Emma wanted to keep shopping, he says. I've just been standing back here under the overhang for 20 minutes. Sorry, dude, I say. We went out. Out? It's pouring, he says. Sorry, dude? That's it? Well, you two fuckers are off doing God knows what. I've been standing here getting drenched. I'll relax, I say. It's just rain. Right, just rain, he says. Rain that soaked the new clothes I just bought. Jack reaches down, lifts a shopping bag up in the air, and we watch water drip from the bottom. I look back at Liv. She looks back at me, and we just laugh. Evening comes, and Jack is pleading for us to go scorch ourselves in the heat of Miami nightlife. After much hemming and hawing, he doesn't win out. There isn't a snowball's chance in hell I'm going to waste this opportunity, staring at Jack's drunken face. I have the woman I want to spend time with right in front of me. Plus, our flights leave early tomorrow morning. We decide, correction, I decide, to keep the night low-key and grab dinner with the girls. Jack is reluctantly coming along, but after a few drinks I know his sourpuss will simmer and subside. Sorry, bud. I don't have much room for anything else in my mind than what to do about Liv. I mean, tonight will last only for tonight. Then what? What will she want to do about me? What are we going to do? I tell Liv I want to chat with her before we go out. I think she knows what is coming. A conversation about our future. There's a hesitance in her voice and slight discomfort in her tone. When push comes to shove, I can't be sure how the conversation will go, but I know how the night will go. The night will be a good time, and I didn't want to risk ruining that. Sales 101. Always handle the objections first, so the rest of the sales call is a gradual build. Tough conversations are, well, tough. Mainly because people will say anything in the moment just to get through them. Myself included. Do people really mean what they say? I don't know. That's the call you have to make. Jack is getting ready, and Emma hasn't made it to the house yet. I arrive in the kitchen before Liv, so I take the liberty of mixing myself a Tom Collins. I look around at the empty house, faintly hear music coming from upstairs, and I wonder how I got here. It's easy for me to connect the dots and make sense of the chance encounters that shaped this situation, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm here, now. Maybe Ty is right when he says, the dots connected along the way, as they will with you. Thinking of him brings me back to my first and only real conversation with him. We always want what we can't have. Seemed to be a throwaway line, but right now it feels more pertinent than ever. Maybe having skin in the game does change everything. How you feel, how you see, how you think, how you do. Is the idea of live better than live? It all seems to not matter when I'm face to face with her. Rational thoughts are kites on a windy day, drifting and floating away. I hear the buzzing sound of music go silent, and footsteps begin to march along the ceiling above me, resembling a countdown timer on my future. I watch the rain splatter the surface of the otherwise still pool, sip my drink, and wait patiently, lost in thought. Hints of florals and spices begin to tickle my nose, maybe a touch of creamy vanilla. I know that smell. I know Liv is behind me before she can say, Earth to Christian. I turn around, and she's dressed in similar attire to the last night we spent together. That air of edginess about her, displayed by the rips in her jeans, heeled boots, waves in her hair, and oversized cropped shirt. It isn't her shoulders shooting flames tonight, it's the bare skin of her stomach I catch a glimpse of when she raises her arm. 
And, of course, her emeralds for eyes. I probably could have used the time alone, or thought more about exactly what I want, but who does that? Now I struggle to open the conversation, and I'm left with the first thing that comes to my mind. You knew this conversation was coming, didn't you? I ask. Hmm, am I going to need a drink? Plenty of time for that later, I say. You know how I feel about you, right? She nods. I place my drink down on the kitchen island, move closer to Liv, and sit on the stool. Well, I've been at such odds with myself over what to do about us, I say. Obviously, the situation is pretty complicated. Plus, I don't know where you stand. I mean, I don't even have your number. I know, Christian, she says. It's so complicated. Our eyes are locked, not even a blink, and I'm trying to see into her mind, but I just have to own up to what I feel and say it. I can't help but want to spend more time with you. I want to go on actual dates, not have to sneak around or worry about who's going to say what about what. I want to listen to music with you. I want to do that more than anything. Don't make me cry, Christian. I pause for a moment, grab her hand, and continue. Play the guitar for you, walk in the rain with you, and I don't know, just be with you. She tucks her top lip under her bottom one and grabs my other hand. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't want that too, she says. You create an electricity inside me that lasts a day, week sometimes. And it's true, my marriage has been on the rocks since the tragedy of my daughter, but... She pauses for a moment. My heart begins to sink. But even if I was to end things with Tim, I can't ask you to throw away your career for me. It's your life. What about your job? Your future? She has a valid point, and she probably doesn't even know about the promotion. There's no way to escape the obvious. I feel as though I'm being waterboarded, and with each admission of my feelings, the torture slows little by little. The vulnerability rises, but the weight reduces. Fuck it, I might as well just keep going. I don't know what I'll do, Liv. I know I'll have to come clean to Tim, and let the cards fall as they may. The only other option is to continue the same way, but how can we do that? I have to work with Tim every day. How long can that boat stay afloat? Honestly. I squeeze her hands. It just seems so wrong. Dangerous. It just brushes the problem under the rug, not sweep it up. I pause again because I know the question I have to ask. I need to dig deep to get it out, but it has to be said right now, at this moment. I just go for it and muster out. I mean, do you want to be with me? Her eyes are starting to swell, and the moisture builds between our palms. I feel that electricity shooting out of her fingertips as they dig into the backside of my hand. The tension breaks. I do, Christian, she says then wipes a single tear that's fallen from her right eye. I just need some time to talk to Tim. I've got to have the conversation first, the D conversation. Can you give me some time? I feel something I haven't felt since I was a kid playing Little League Baseball. A sense of relief, similar to hitting my first home run. It is ecstasy. I'm reluctant to say, of course, I can give you time. But I have no choice, so I do. Then I continue. It'll be good for me to gather my thoughts, too. I should be prepared for whatever comes my way. Just, when the time is right, let me tell Tim about us. I can't have that bomb drop on me at the office. She nods, then pulls me in closer, throws her arms around my body, and rests her head on my left shoulder. We stand there with no movement for the next three minutes, which feels more like three hours. She leans back in 
and places her soft lips on mine, pulls back again, and looks at me. I guess this means I should give you my number now, she says. I smile. Probably. Actually, give me your number, she says. After I talk to Tim, then I'll contact you. Last thing I need is for you to call or text me while I'm with him, raise a red flag prematurely, and him to get suspicious. Will that work for you? That's smart, I say, and perfect. Let's not tell Tweedledee and Tweedledum, and just enjoy the night, she says. She smiles, bites her bottom lip, and waits for confirmation. Good idea, I tell her. Now, I need to go freshen up, she says. You ruined my makeup. Then she strides off toward the staircase. I laugh. (laughs) Oh, really? She yells back with some sass. Hey, you wanted me, now you got me. Wait, how did you say it? You fucked me, and fought for me. Is that how it goes? I laugh to myself about the absurdity of that comment. I can't even believe that I said it, not once, but twice. It sounds so ridiculous now, but I guess there is an element of truth to it. I pick up my Tom Collins, swirl it around, and take a gulp. The ice bumps my upper lip and reminds me of how cold reality can be. I will enjoy the night while knowing there are still many chilly conversations that live in my future. Chapter 19 We barely made it back to the house, and similar to the first time we made love, Liv and I are in a liquefied haze. There's nothing gentle about it. The only thing louder than the sound of Liv's voice saying my name is the sound of her heart up against me. It's pounding the bass line from Come Together, which is fitting because that's exactly what we're doing. I can see the shimmer on our skin from perspiration, making our movements frictionless. It's not glue holding us together. We're working hard to be this close, but we are meant to be here, on a bed with no comforter and soft linen sheets and sweat dripping from our bodies. I can see Liv reach down and grab me, stroke after stroke. The bed rocks, and a voice gets louder and louder and louder. That voice gets deeper, and I start to get confused, until it's not Christian, Christian in my head anymore. It's Ballantine, Ballantine. Hello? Anyone home? The voice says. It sounds more like undercuffler? Then I feel a literal nudge on my shoulder. I give my head one good shake and all at once I snap out of it. Undercuffler is standing next to me in the office and I'm sitting at my desk. I don't know what kind of drugs you're taking, he says, but you've been out of it since you got back from Florida. I've just been struggling to get back into the flow of things. I say. Well, you better start soon, he says. I bumped into Tim this morning, and he told me if I saw you, to let you know he's trying to get a hold of you, and that he's still waiting on a reply to an email he sent you. Oh, shit. Thanks, man. He laughs. Get it together, will ya? It's Friday morning, and I've been on pins and needles all week. Every damn day I wonder if today is going to be the day I walk into work and Tim wants to chop my head off. Plus, I haven't heard from Liv. All I can do is daydream about our last night together. Maybe Tom Petty is right. The waiting is the hardest part. It was mid-afternoon on Wednesday when I realized this scenario might play itself out. Not hearing from Liv yet, but still having to give Tim a response on the promotion. I don't see much sense in denying it, 
When the time is right, I'll just accept the promotion and roll the dice. Sure, middle management is brutal. I'd rather be in those shoes when the hammer drops. I don't have to tell him right away. I'm sure many homewreckers or philanderers have used this strategy. I can assume the new role for a while and let some time pass. Harder to do anything crazy and lessen the sting. Well, that's the plan anyway. The damn promotion conversation is coming sooner than I thought. Olsen hasn't mentioned anything to me, but I know they're planning to announce him leaving soon. Next week, maybe. I start to go through old emails. They've been building up all week, so there are more than a few. Ah, the one from Tim. Wow, it was sent last night. Not terrible, I guess. Lunch tomorrow? Noon at Max's? Couple of updates for you. Need to chat. Tim. I can tell him I can't make it, but that's just delaying the inevitable. If he truly needs to talk, then he's going to get a hold of me one way or another. Plus, I've already made the decision that I'll just accept the promotion. Maybe I don't want to be the shit in the shit sandwich that is management, but I know I deserve it. And just thinking about having a conversation with Undercuffler as my boss gives me indigestion. So, I emailed him back. Sorry for the delay. Tied up all morning. See you at noon. He emails back instantly. See you then. I'm not worried about the short answers. Executives are notorious for sending short responses. After all, they're really busy. But I'm worried about how fast he replied. Was he sitting there waiting on me? I don't want to think about it. Either way, I'm going to meet him. At least Max's makes a great burger. I try to look forward to that. It's a beautiful spring day. Clear skies, high 60s or low 70s depending on who you ask. The city has a little extra buzz today. Not that it's ever slow, but on days like this, people want to walk around rather than have to walk around. With such nice weather and a comfortable pair of loafers on my feet, I stroll the three blocks up to Max's. You can see every type of person imaginable on a walk in Manhattan. It's America summed up in five minutes. A melting pot of people, complete with honking horns, flashing lights, and the occasional, ah, screw you, thrown in for good measure. Before I realize it, I arrive at Max's. The Mater D greets me. Hello, sir. Do you have a reservation? It's probably under Tim, for two, I say. He starts to scroll the reservation list. Ah, here it is. The other party is already here. Right this way, sir. Follow me. The place is packed. Typical for a Friday. And similar to the Metro North train in the morning, Max's is full of costumes. People trying to impress, feel important, and be somebody. The lunch and dinner crowd throughout the week is what keeps these places in business. It's all company men with overblown expense accounts. Everyone plays the game, so nobody blinks an eye at the $20 burger. That's the lowest priced item on the menu. I've seen dinner bills for four get into the three dollars to $4,000 range. It's the I appreciate or want your business wine that raises the bill to astronomical figures. But nobody gives a shit. They're not paying for it, the company is. It's a well-oiled machine. People are the oil, restaurants and businesses are the parts, and Manhattan is the machine. I spot Tim. He's sitting up in the back corner and already looking my way. The maitre d' moves to the side once we reach the table, extends his left arm, and says, Here you are, sir. I thank him and take a seat. I thought you ran away, Tim says, as soon as I sit down. Ran away? I'm a bit confused. It seems like a strange way to start a conversation. Well, I haven't heard much from you since we got back, and typically you respond quickly to emails. Ah, now I see where he's going with this. 
but still no hello, good to see you, or anything. I've just been struggling to get back into the workflow, I say. I'll be back to my normal self by Monday. He looks at the menu, then back up at me. He says, I thought I'd hear back from you much sooner on what we had discussed in Florida. Then he goes back to looking at the menu. I ended up needing a little time to think about it. Yeah, but still, it's been crickets, he says. Very unlike you, Christian. You know, not even anything about the trip. Fuck, did I forget to thank him? Maybe I did. I definitely did. I can feel my palms getting sweaty. Am I about to walk into an ambush? The trip was great, Tim. I had a great time. I can't thank you enough. I'm glad you had a good time, he says. About the promotion, I thought you'd be honored to take it. Undercuffler wouldn't have needed more than two minutes. The waiter arrives before I can respond. Would you like anything to drink? He asks us. Tim looks at me. I don't say a word and just wait for his lead. You know what? It's Friday. Bring each of us a Tom Collins, he says, and ask the bartender to use one sugar cube rather than simple syrup. Well, someone knows how they want their drink, the waiter says. You got it. Sugar cube? He didn't even know what the hell a Tom Collins even was before last Friday. So, I inspired you, huh? I smile. I didn't even see you drink a Tom Collins in Florida. I'm hoping to get a little chuckle out of him or something. Oh yeah, club soda, lemon juice, gin, and one sugar cube. I had my first one last night, actually. Happy to have you on the team, I smile. Tim's face is still flat. Yeah, I was at this little spot in Connecticut, he says. Fatty duck, have you ever been? What did he just say? I choke on my water and squeeze my butt cheeks together. He's either setting me up or it's pure coincidence. Too early to call. Maybe I should have worn socks today. I can feel my bare feet sticking to the loafers. Excuse me, I say, wiping my mouth. <clears throat> Must have swallowed wrong. I have been to Fatty Duck. It's a good little spot. Tim puts the menu down. So, it was the craziest thing, he says. I was meeting a friend for dinner who lives in Connecticut and he suggested we go there. I'd never been. That doesn't sound so crazy to me, I say. I cut him off, which probably isn't a good idea, but the nerves are making my mouth jumpy. He raises his right index finger and says, Wait, we haven't got to the crazy part yet. I take another sip of water, trying to stay cool. Tim continues. So, as I was saying, I'm sitting at the bar with my buddy, and the bartender asks me what I'll have. Tim leans in, looking me straight in the eye. And this is where it gets good, he says. I notice my grip on the water glass is getting tighter. I try to keep playing it cool and don't move. So, I'm at the bar and I think of the trip, you and your silly drink, and everything on the horizon at work. So I tell her, you know what? I'll have a Tom Collins. She laughs when I say this, so I ask her, what's so funny? And she answers, nobody orders that drink anymore except one young guy who's been in here a couple times. A good bartender never forgets, she tells me. Fuck, fuck, fuck. I know a young guy who drinks those all the time too, I tell her. He says, I don't know why I asked what I asked next, but I did, and let me tell you, Christian, am I happy that I did? What did you ask her? I asked her what does he look like, and she goes on to describe you verbatim. And I was so excited because I'm like, what are the chances? So I tell her, it's gotta be my friend and co-worker, Christian. He drinks these damn things all the time. Wow, what are the odds? 
pretty crazy. Tim raises the same right index finger again. No, no, it gets even crazier, he tells me. The bartender does what most bartenders do, especially on a slow night. She keeps chatting with me. Yup, I remember vividly both times he was with the same woman, too. And she goes on to describe her. Unmistakable green eyes, blonde hair, pointy shoulders, a little older, and on and on and on. The story comes to a standstill as the waiter comes back with the Tom Collins in each hand, and I can feel my face starting to get flush. I subtly place my hand between my legs to make sure I haven't peed myself. Grab your drink, Tim says. I want to make a toast. My hand shakes as I pick up my drink and raise it. Here's to all the things we love, he says, and to all the things we've lost. We clink glasses and both take a sip. Ah, good, isn't it? Tim asks me with a huge smile. Just drop the hammer, dude, drop the effing hammer. Yeah, good, I say. Definitely well-crafted. He positions his glass back on the table. So, where was I? He asks. Do you remember? He's fucking with me now. Uh, I believe the woman or something. Oh yes, of course, the woman, he says. As she's telling me all this, I think... Well, that sounds an awful lot like Olivia. No, it can't be, can it? So, you can imagine I was a little perplexed, but why would it be my wife? I stopped thinking about it, but after a few more drinks, it hit me. What's that, Tim? I ask, trying to hold my composure. A few weeks back, Olivia went to dinner with Emma, somewhere in Connecticut. I couldn't remember for the life of me the name of the place, so I scrolled back in my text messages with her, and sure enough, they went to the fatty duck. Now I'm full on sweating. Palms, underarms, it's all damp. I'm thinking, only answer questions that he asks you, nothing more, nothing less. Sit here and keep your mouth shut. So here's where it gets really crazy, Tim continues. Do you know why I was out with my friend that night, Christian? Okay, that's a question I have to answer. I don't, Tim. I was out with my friend because on Wednesday, Olivia told me she wants to separate. Things have been rocky, but it was still a blow. I didn't see it coming. So when I told my buddy, he said we should go out for some drinks. Now, here I am, hurting, wheels spinning, all this info, and I start to retrace some steps. Then I remember the first night in Golden Beach. You called her Liv, and your dumbass friend tells us his nickname is Jackson, and you call people nicknames all the time. It was off, but I still think there's no way. Just no fucking way. He pauses, lifts up that index finger again, and says, Then I get to thinking even more, and I remember when I told Olivia to pick up gin and lemon juice, she asked about sugar. I laughed it off after she made up some lame excuse that I believed. But now I'm sitting here thinking, if they did know each other, why wouldn't they just tell me? Even if they just bumped into each other, why wouldn't they say so? It would make for a great story. He takes another sip of his drink, looks out the window, and back at my hollow face. Now, are you ready for the really, really crazy part? He asks. Come on, Christian. Tell me you're ready. Fuck, that's another question. Uh-huh, is all I can manage, even though it's not true. I sit there squeamishly, waiting to take it like an anvil. This is going to be painful, but what choice do I have? So the wheels were spinning when I got home. Olivia was already sleeping, so I didn't bother waking her up. But I think, 
Let me check the security cameras I have at the Golden Beach House. A neighbor told me to install them at all the entrances, since I'm not there all the time. It's amazing, Christian. These tapes keep footage for a year, he tells me. What do you know? The night I left to come back to New York, I see you and Olivia go prancing out the front door in the rain under one umbrella. That's odd. So I fast forward a bit and see Jack banging on the door, then going around back trying to see if the sliders are open. So I fast forward just a little more. And there it is. I know exactly what he saw. How could I forget that kiss in the rain? It is imprinted in my mind forever, and apparently on film as well. Tim continues, It's too bad you didn't leave the umbrella up. It would have made it harder to tell what you were doing. But nope, there you two are, holding hands and smacking lips in the rain. And of course, later that night, all four of you go out, and you and Olivia come back in the house together, at the wee hours of the morning. God only knows what you did after that. Tim, I'm... I begin to say. Save it, he says in a much louder tone. I'm going to ask you this one time. Have you been sleeping with my wife? Shit, that's definitely another question. The one I've been dreading since this whole thing started. If it's going to come to this, I want to get ahead of it. But here I am, caught with my tail between my legs. I only have two options, admit or deny. If I deny, then I really look like a shitbag. I kissed his wife after he handed me an award, brought me into his home, and offered me a promotion. If I admit it, then I can at least tell the truth. Maybe he'll understand the predicament I was in all along. The decision seems easy to me. So, I own it. Yes, I tell him. Tim's eyes don't even widen, move, or blink. It's like he already knew the answer was coming. You dumb fuck, he says. Is that all you're going to say? Okay, that's definitely another question. I should just answer yes or no, but after all, this might be my only opportunity to speak my piece. I break my own rule and elaborate. Tim, I know you're livid, but hear me out, I say. When I first met Liv, Olivia, whatever you want me to call her, I'm sorry. When I met her, I had no clue she was your wife. I only found out at the awards dinner. I thought if I didn't say anything, it would just go away. I could continue along with my career and life, but then this happened. There's eight million people in this city and you had to pick my wife, he says. My fucking wife! I know, Tim, I say. It looks really bad. Looks really bad, he repeats. If you're so innocent, let me ask you. Did you see her again after you knew? After the awards dinner? Oh boy, the yarn is officially unraveling, and I know deep inside that there will be no coming back from this. I can barely get the words out of my mouth. I did, I say. All you had to do was come to me like a fucking man after the first time, he shouts. Instead, you saw her again? He is right, and I am speechless. What can I say? I love her, but what good will that do? She's his wife. You know who Friedrich Nietzsche is? Tim goes on. Actually, I don't give a shit if you know who he is or not. He once wrote, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on I can't believe you. There's nothing for me to say. I have to be the whipping post. Offering any details will do more harm than good. All I can do is look at the disappointment that runs from Tim's forehead wrinkles down to his clenched jaw. The promotion is gone, he says. Now it makes sense why you were delaying. You had the world at your fingertips. You threw it all away. For what? A piece of ass. Do you even know what Olivia and I have been through? Do you even understand what a marriage is? 
I know I don't have to answer, but it is the last set of rhetorical questions that makes me blow my lid. Tim, I say. I got to know her, she got to know me, and I fell in love with her. That's why I couldn't resist her again in Golden Beach. Tim's inner bull makes his ears steam. He leans forward, ready to charge, eyes full of rage, but he grips the corners of the table to hold himself back. Enough! He yells. All eyes are now on our table. People start to notice something isn't right. He adjusts himself, pulls down the sleeves on his sports coat, and gathers himself. Listen here, you have two choices. One, you stop seeing Olivia, and you might be able to keep your job. Or, two, you're done at Perkins, fired today. But I'm a nice guy, Christian. As a courtesy, I'll let you write a resignation letter. Consider it your new promotion offer. Rather than getting fired, you can resign. So, what will it be? He asks. Option one or option two? Fired. Fuck. My entire life flashes before my eyes. I can hear my father say, Just like when you quit baseball, Christian, you really screwed this one up. My mother just shakes her head, not knowing what to say. Jacob calls me a dumbass and asks, How do you plan on paying for that expensive car? And Jack says, I told you so. The thought of Undercuffler being my new boss and Olsen handing him the keys to his office is giving me a gag reflex. What would Ty do? All I can hear is him saying, Don't kill yourself with consumption, kid. Time is ticking, Tim says. Don't be a dumbass, Christian. As soon as he says that, everything slows down and I can see Liv her emerald eyes burning a hole in my soul, sitting barefoot on my couch and standing in the rain. The feeling of her soft skin tenderizes the rigidness of the moment. It's the depth of her senses that washes away every other thought. It's hard to look at him. I can't stop seeing her, I say, with my head hanging. He just shakes his head, possibly defeated, probably disgusted. Don't bother coming back to the office, he says. Email your resignation letter by the end of the day. He gets up, buttons his suit jacket, throws a hundred dollar bill on the table and says, The drinks are on me. I owe Tom one. I sit there, looking at the empty chair and wrinkled hundred on the table, and wonder if people are whispering about me. The hustle and bustle of New York City keeps moving along outside the window. The breadth and impact of losing my job has not begun to set in yet. Maybe the smart move would have been to stop seeing Liv, but that would be like removing a limb. How can I remove a limb? I look down and stare at my Tom Collins. The club soda is bubbling while the lemon wedge shines bright. This one is garnished with a cherry on top. Go figure. The gin and sugar are invisible, waiting to bite only once you taste it. So I take a sip, just to remind me. Before you go, quick reminder, if you'd like to read along with season one, or perhaps just support me, that would be amazing. Tom Collins, A Slightly Crooked Novel is available to purchase at Amazon, Apple iBooks, Google Play, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble, as well as global distribution. So next time you're in the local bookstore, make sure to have them order you a copy. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.